You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, and on today's episode, we have an extra special guest, as he is the producer of this very show. His name is Rusty Johnson. You know him well. You love him. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Rusty, welcome to The Rick Z Show. Well, thank you for having me. How many times have you heard me say that? I think uh, upwards of 100. Something like that, right? But the first time while I'm in this seat. Yes, first. Oh, wait, speaking of being in that seat, who's manning the computer program for the show while you're in this seat? Uh, we got Fabby for emergencies. Okay. We My got, lovely wife, you, Fabby. Yep, we have a nice backup. That's great. Now, the reason why we're having you on this show, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time, is because you are actually a Hudson Valley musician. You're a ripping guitar player, by the way. And oh, thank you. Absolutely. We're, we're going to hear some music from you later. A lot of people who listen to you on this show and have kind of heard you laughing in the background and, or your odd comment or whatever... They know Ed McMahon impressions. Ed McMahon, exactly. You're Ed McMahon to my Johnny Carson, <laughs> or is it the Star Search Ed McMahon? Carson, Carson. Oh, oh thank God. <laughs> Most people who listen to the show have no idea that this is just a small fraction of what you do. You're into all kinds of stuff. This is this is like your your hobby. This is like your downtime is coming yes. and being the producer of this show. Let's start with the guitar, though. You're a great guitar player. I still remember the first time I heard you play. I was at your brother-in-law's and sister's, mm-hmm. Pete Riley, your sister Judy, right. went over to their house. And Pete was saying, oh, you got to hear my brother-in-law, Rusty. He, he can really play. And he popped in this cassette tape and it was of your band or something like that. And mm-hmm. I'm like awestruck. I was like, oh my God, that's, that's your, that's, Judy's brother playing that? I hadn't even met you yet, but you you sounded like it sounded like heavy metal music, but it, it was very well done and the, the soloing was great. Oh, thank you. How did you learn how to play? Did you take lessons or was this just a self-taught thing? How did how did that happen? Well, a little bit of both. The one thing that was unique with playing guitar was that luckily in my life I always like trying different things and many times when I do try different things a lot of it comes very naturally, and I just kind of take off with it, and it goes really well. That was not the case with playing guitar at all. I'm not a natural at all. So it was it was kind of three or four false starts. At first, you know, when I was probably five or six years old, I was really into Kiss. Uh, my uncle, he'd get me the boots. He'd, he'd paint the boots up for me like Gene Simmons. Uh, he would let me use his uh, guitars. And I'd play around a little bit, and, you know, I liked it, of course, was just making noise with them at that time. Then when I was in my early teens, I wanted to play, and I'd get an acoustic, you learn a few chords, and then kind of, it's not coming easy, your fingers are hurt, and you're getting blisters, and and then i just shelve it for a while. And for some reason, it wasn't until my early 20s where I started taking it seriously. Uh, you know, it was when tablature came out because I could read the tab. I could find my favorite song, get the tab. We didn't have the internet then, so you'd have to buy the book that was like... How did you know how to play chords and stuff, though? Um, well, just by books. Just by books? Just yeah. sitting down, looking at the fingerings, and then playing and figuring it out yourself? Yeah, just getting... The, well, I got the basic chords down by... Was it... Uh, Be, was it uh, who made the, the famous chord book? Bay Be, or... Oh, the, the fake books, they called them? No, God, what was the the old guy? That, oh, Mel Bay. Mel Bay, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got a you know, Mel Bay book, uh, got the uh, the basic chords down, and then I had a neighbor, Dave Haight. He's been in a bunch of uh, bands uh, through the years around here, and he kind of you know took me those extra steps, showed me some seventh chords and something a little different. I still sucked, but I was getting the 
the chords down. And uh, then I wanted to take one step further, and back when Allegro music was open, Greg Dinger was teaching guitar there. He was a fantastic classical guitar player. Uh, guitar player in general, amazing, but he's just a dynamite on classical guitar. And I was listening to classical guitar, and I liked it. So much more technical, and I didn't have those chops yet. But I went to him, and I went to him for about a year or so. Matter of fact, the first song I learned was on acoustic, but it obviously isn't one, was uh, Running with the Devil. Mm. Oh. The sh show goes out to Eddie Van Halen, who died yesterday. Let's dedicate this to Eddie Van Halen. Yes. Passing away at 65 years old of cancer way too soon. I'd put him in the top 10 guitar players of all time in, in terms of his influence on an entire generation of guitar players. Yeah, uh, how sad. And just a couple weeks ago, I learned how to play Eruption note for note. And I was going to play it on the show today, but since he died, just out of respect, I'm never going to play the song ever again. That's sad. Yeah. Sad. What a loss of hard work. Oh, well. <laughs> Welcome to my world. I always just play at home, have a few lessons with Greg. Then uh, Jason Foster taught me a lot. Jason Foster was a you know, local legend. He played with three, lunch meat, perfect thyroid. Unfortunately, died too soon, but uh, he taught me a lot. Show me more scales of playing lead. And so I was just kind of dogging around the bedroom and the, in front of the TV for a while. A uh, buddy of mine, uh, Rich Williams, who I started teaching chords to years prior, he really took off playing guitar and he started a band uh, called, uh, well, it was called the Blue Channel Band, which sounds like a porno reference. The reason we were called the Blue Channel Band is that over in Ulster County at the time, there was a public access TV station that had us on a lot. But when they weren't showing programs, it was like this blue screen that you went to. <laughs> so people would come up and be like, hey, you're the band from the Blue Channel. And so we... Well, what, we what was your name at that point? We didn't have one. So it became the Blue Channel Band. The Blue Channel Band. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, Three-piece, four-piece? It was uh, no, two guitars. Me and Rich Williams uh, uh, was uh, were the guitar players. Doug Dukoski was singing. Todd Levinson was playing bass, and uh, Greg Tyler from Hinged was uh, on the drums. It was like a five-piece band? Yeah, a full five-piece band, and we didn't play out at all at first, but what it was, it was really a, a wonderful time to kind of get my chops, because you know, playing in your basement is so much different than playing with four other guys, so down in Rich Williams' basement, usually about twice a week we go down there and jam, and it's kind of just, you know, seeing where it goes. And things started getting together to say, oh, wait a minute, we might be able to do this out in public. Didn't you play at the Star Bar here in Rhinebeck a bit? Yes, that was actually one of our first gigs was at the Star Bar. Well, I, I didn't realize that. I, there's a lot I don't know about your life before I met you a little over 20 years ago. Did you have other bands besides the Blue Channel Band? No, that was the, the first and really the only band that went somewhere, per se, locally. You know, we were... Pretty much the house band at the Westrand Grill. So we played uh, at the Star Bar. We also played up at the Joyce Lake a few times. But that's really the only band that I really went anywhere. I mostly would just jam with people or sit in. Well, you play like a professional, but you're an amateur musician because your day gig, per se, is in something quite different. I, I don't even know what to call it. It could be many different things. You know, you're a wildlife expert, you're a reptile guy, a, a hawk guy, or a, a naturalist. I mean, w what do you call it? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> it's it's just me being rusty. The way it started was wildlife was just always an interest for me. I mean, when I was little, I had pet snakes, did all that stuff. When I was in my uh, mid-teens, well, late teens, became a falconer. 
That was first was just for me really to to work with wild animals and and you had some important people take you under their wing. Uh, yeah, no, no pun intended. Jim Fowler is one of them. Tell, yeah, Jim. Tell me about that. Yeah, Jim Fowler was huge uh, uh, person in my life. First, I was a falconer, but then I branched off to training owls. And I had this young owl at the time. I hatched it out of my pocket. It was only like a few weeks old at the time. And I got a phone call from Jim Fowler from Mutual Bohemia's Wild Kingdom, heard about it and gave me a call and said, listen, could you come down next week with me on the Today Show? He was the wildlife correspondent for the Today Show at the time. So I went down and did that. Since then, we, uh, we bonded and I've done hundreds of appearances with him. Not just him, but you worked with David Copperfield, you've been on The Letterman Show and The Tonight Show, and you, you did a lot of work back then. Yeah, Conan O'Brien. I had a great time. I was uh, I had David Hasselhoff hand-feeding my condor. Wow. <laughs> Conan O'Brien. Wow. That's, that sounds like a... So like some kind of a joke, uh, David. A weird, a weird dream. Yeah, you can't well, even bring him up without it sounding like a weird dream. Yeah, at least he wasn't feeding him a hamburger. <laughs> and then what? You graduated on to writing a book, Twilight of the Wild, and you traveled all around the world to all these fascinating places. One of the places that became extremely important to you is the Amazon. How come? Mm -hmm. Well, again, that was a, a natural evolution. You know, I had someone tell me one day, Rusty, I've never seen somebody lead with their heart so much. And I did realize that it was an insult when he said it to me. He meant it as an insult. How so? Because it was his way of saying I, I didn't really think logically in what I was doing. I just had it in my heart. I wanted to do something, and then I just went and did it. He's calling you a dreamer, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Are you a dreamer? Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't have it any other way. Is, is there a downside to being a dreamer? Well, what's your downside? Dreams uh, you know, may not come true, or they don't come true easily, but if you have them and you focus on them, they're a necessity, really, if you want to live a full life. Well, some people are dreamers, other people are doers. You're a dreamer, and then you do your dreams. That's oh, you have to do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. No, dreaming doesn't get you anywhere, but having the dream and then going and doing it, as opposed to saying, I wish I could do that one day, but it's just, it's not a logical move right now, so I'll sit in a desk for 40 years. Not my style. We could talk about your adventures in the Amazon for four or five podcasts, but for the sake mm -hmm. of time, we'll, we'll truncate some of that. We'll come back to it a little bit later. Mm -hmm. What I'd like to do now is have our listener hear a little bit of your, your guitar playing. Sure. You have uh, some pre-recorded stuff. Reminds me of the Amazon. I believe that you recorded with your classical guitar mm -hmm. a few little pieces, put a little reverb on them, mm -hmm. kind of low-budget recording, but sounds very nice. And you coupled these with some footage from the Amazon, mm -hmm. right? I mean, Yeah, and this type of, of guitar playing really wasn't in my wheelhouse till I got down there. And the reason being is that uh, when I work in different ceremonies with the shamans in the Amazon, uh, one of the, quote, instruments they use is called a shakapa. And a shakapa is like a rattle, but it's it's like a palm leaf rattle. And when they sing their native songs, it really connects you to it during the ceremony, say for ayahuasca or San Pedro or, or many different ceremonies. It really grounds you and connects you, and it's, it's part of their, their ceremonial process there. When I started guiding in the Amazon and bringing... Americans down. Although I would have the shamans do very traditional ceremonies, I noticed that the American mindset, they really connect it to the guitar as an instrument for meditation. At first, one asked me, hey, you know, I heard you play classical guitar. Could you play during the ceremony with the shaman? And I did it, and it really, really helped the person very much to open up their mind and, and have a really great experience. So I said, maybe there's something to this. So this track here integrates the shaman and the classical guitar. 
even throughout the world, people listen to it now when they're at either at home doing ceremonies or out publicly doing ceremonies. Remember when we went to the Amazon together? Oh, yeah. I'll never forget that. That was an incredible trip. I learned a lot while I was there. I didn't bring my guitar because I didn't want it to wilt. Oh, and they do. <laughs> yeah. I buy guitars down there in, in Peru. Otherwise, if I bring any of them down there, they just wreck on me as soon as you get into the humidity. Oh, oh it's just the, the humidity is crazy. So let's take a listen to this piece. I, I love this.
Fast forward many years later, a lot of your independent hard work, and I mean lots of hard work uh, trying to sell yourself, you're a self-made man, mm -hmm. you were able to garner this show called Hotel Amazon mm -hmm. on the Travel Channel. I, I was yeah. amazed by that. How did that come about and what was the outcome? Again, another natural evolution because while I was guiding in the Amazon and doing my work, I had production companies say, Rusty, we want to do a show about you in the Amazon. So we were pitching different ideas around. And at the same time, I would basically be a nomad guide. What that is, instead of saying, okay, I have this lodge, people come down and visit my lodge, is I talk to the person who wants to come down and say, okay, well, what do you want to accomplish while you're down there? Because one of the luxuries I did have was the fact that I do travel so much in the Amazon of different areas with my humanitarian work and freelance filming that I have so many places to go. For instance, if someone says, oh, I want to go down and fish for piranha, well, then I'd take you to a village where there's a ton of piranha and we'd stay there. Or I wanted to go and visit shamans. Well, then I'd take you to a village where my best shamans are, and then we would stay there. I want to swim with pink dolphins. I'd bring you to a place I have that has the pink dolphins swim in front of it. So I was very nomadic, but I was thinking at first, maybe if I could have like a small bed and breakfast type place, per se, where it was just a small hut that would be in, in a village, but was kind of a little bit more pimped out, had the running water, had solar electricity and things like that, nice beds. And then I could bring people there and give tours there. So while I was thinking that, an old friend of mine that I used to study martial arts with, he uh, ended up winning $35,000 on the Wheel of Fortune. And he was looking to do something with it. So I said, well, you know, this is what I was thinking of doing. Let's let's do it. So this was going on separate to the show. So when I had the production company, people coming down to see my life and what I do in the Amazon, at the same time, I brought him down to see if he wanted to invest in maybe getting a little bed and breakfast in the Amazon going. And when those two worlds met, and I said, well, wait a minute, maybe I'll bring him into the show and we'll cover the building and of this. And it, it really worked out well. And when I say that, I'm not I'm well for TV, let's say, because it, it became it became, a, you know, a battle of at first I was looking for just a loan. OK, give me money and then I'll give you more money when I get finished with everything. But when he got down there, he wanted to do something much bigger. He had these visions of grandeur of making this huge hotel down there. And I felt that wasn't the way that I wanted to go. But if that's a, a swing he wanted to take at it. Uh, let's let's do it, and I'll make a show out of it, and that's what I did. So they filmed season one, mm -hmm. and then it was canceled. What happened? Well, no, it was at first it was all shot as a, a six-part docu drama. Right, I saw all six parts. By yeah. the way, it was a, a six-episode docu drama, and then we'll see where it goes after that. And quite honestly, when she got Travel Channel into it, and they start paying the bills and everything you lose your a lot of the creative dimension that you want. And and so that's what happened. It really, it, it turned into a wonderful experience, a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful stepping stone to do more television work. But it, it didn't become the show that I wanted. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a, it's an entertaining show. So we it was all the trials and tribulations of basically two gringos going down to the Amazon and trying to build a hotel in the middle of the Amazon and all the crazy stuff that happens during well it's a shame that it only went that one season but who knows you may have some tv work in the future hint hint <laughs> jumping tracks 
<laughs> to music again, you and I were in a band together called Gas Can Lift. <laughs> yes. Remember that? Gas Can Lift. Let's Absolutely. see, it was me and you and Todd Levinson on bass. Yes. And we played around. We did a few gigs. We played in Woodstock and here and there. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought we were pretty good, actually. Gas can lift. I, I was really happy with it. I liked it. It really gave me the freedom to actually explore a little bit different things because I play the classical guitar and then I like the, the hard rock and the heavy Texas blues. But with gas can lift, it was more steel string acoustic. And so I could take kind of the chops that I learned of classical, but also kind of the rockingness from the electric stuff and try to portray that acoustically. And we played some original music of mine as well. Had you ever played original music in your band before? No, never. No, no. So that was good too. It was good to learn some original stuff. Do you remember when we first met? I do at my sister's house, I believe. I was going to Montserrat the following day, I think. I remember that. What do you remember about us meeting? Well, I remember I wanted to meet you before because I remember my brother-in-law and my sister talking about you. And I said, oh, this, this guy is, seems like an original cat that doesn't go with the grain, you know. And my sister said you were coming over one day. So I went over. I was leaving for the West Indies the following day to film Endangered Species down there. But I, I cruised in and saw you and I brought my python with me, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, the reticulated python. Right? Yeah. No, Burmese. Oh, that was the a Burmese. big Burmese. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. the Burmese. I think I have a picture of you like pretending to bite the snake somewhere around my house. Ill-advised. Ill-advised. <laughs> never <laughs> ever <laughs> bite a snake. It's never the right move. Yeah. That's pretty much what I remember about the meeting. That was in 1999, I think, April or May of 99. Damn. Well, that was a, a long time ago. And look at us now. Yeah. We have a wildly successful hit show. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. I I hope I hope so. I don't listen to it. Um, speaking of the podcast, it was your idea to start this podcast. Tell me about that. Yeah. Tell me about that as though I don't already know, but tell us anyway. I started doing a podcast myself called Gringo Gone Wild. Just really showcased a lot of my adventures through Africa and then working with the wild animals and then as well as the Amazon and all the stuff, weird stuff going on in my life. It was just a fun process that I mentioned to you, and I had two ideas in mind. It was one, for you to do a podcast on either music or astrophysics, because you know so much about both. I think you picked the right route of more people being interested in music as opposed to astrophysics. Yeah, <laughs> may have been more of an interest around here. <laughs> yeah, so I threw the idea out to you, and then we ran with it. I wasn't into it right away. I was like, ah, you know, my whole life people have been saying, you should be a DJ, you know, because the sound of my voice. But I always thought I'd rather be the person that DJs play rather than play the music myself. And, and do you know how much DJs make? They make less than musicians. So I, I didn't really have much interest right away because I, I just kept thinking about that. But in the end, I had a great idea for the show, uh, exposing music of the Hudson Valley, which I don't think was originally the idea, but it quickly became that. And I love getting behind that and having artists on the show and, and people that are just wonderful musicians. I'm constantly surprised. And, and I get all this free music. <laughs> yeah as well who have been some of your favorite guitarists that have played on this show mm, first off of course you know uh, joey Eppert. i'm a gigantic fan of joey, joey Eppert, Eppert and three honestly great great player <laughs> i say if i ever won lotto he'd be the first person that i'd sign for my record company he's just so innovative and creative 
and the triple threat of playing guitar, songwriting, and singing. He's all of it. He's talented. Christine Dominguez, I love. Of course, Jerry Leonard, David Bowie's guitarist. I mean, how, how can you get better than that? You can't go wrong there. No, they're really three, three of my tops. But there's so many. I mean, we have really had a fantastic group of people here. Well, we've added another great guitar player as of today. And I want to show our listeners that you can really open up and play. Let's have a little bit of a blues jam. What do you think? Hey, man, let's rock it. I think that would be great because very rarely have we had people play on the show lately because of COVID and right. having to do a lot of phone interviews and stuff like that. And I've only played guitar on the show, I think, one time, very briefly. And I think this will be the first time anything's improvised because we haven't practiced. We have no idea what we're playing. No, we're and just we're gonna... just going to see what comes out yeah just a blues jam that's why i like it me too let's do it all right You're awesome. Thank you. How did you get so awesome? Did you listen to awesome guitar players? Who were some of your favorites growing up? You mentioned Eddie Van Halen, the late, great Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. What other kind of music did you like? I'd say Eddie t definitely was the first that caught my attention to say, oh my God, what what's happening here? But with that said, I've never worked to emulate him. He was more of a, a style that, I don't know, I, I honestly haven't connected with his style. It's so out there. 
I'm more Jimi Hendrix, Steve Ray Vaughan are my two guitar gods. When I first heard you play, I thought of heavy metal music. You had kind of a, a, a metalish tone. Would you say you're more of a blues player, or, or where do you stand mm. on metal? It's, I think I'm right in the middle. As far as uh, heavy, heavy metal, aside from Metallica, I don't follow it too much, but I love Metallica. You know, hard rock, definitely do like. You know, as I said, like Van Halen. You know, Nirvana I did like. Um, and you've written a few songs as well. Yeah, yeah. I never really played them out, but more I had some thoughts and meaningful thoughts. I really only wrote two with lyrics, and they all really were about important issues. Black is the Blood is one of them. Yeah, Black is the Blood. What and, else? What was the um, other one? Silent Survival. Silent Survival. Wow. Yeah. Intense. Yeah, those two. Yeah, so I like it, but I do like the blues. But I'd have to say more of a Texas blues. I like some some balls on it. You know. All right. So we've come to that moment in the show where I have to ask you about this TV show that you've been working on. It's such an intriguing idea, timely idea. It's called Amazon Detox. What can mm -hmm. you tell us about that? Amazon Detox, again, another just natural evolution. Uh, that's why I like when writing up TV shows or really anything that. I don't think, well, I need an idea what's going to be popular with people. I just do what will naturally come to my mind or what I think the society needs. And whether they like it or not is a different thing. But I feel this is something that really society needs, is especially in the past, I want to say 10 years, but it's probably it's really more, is the epidemics of addiction, particularly opioid addiction. It's just getting worse and worse. What I've noticed and experiences of, of people that I know that have suffered from it, uh, as well as trauma too, is if they many times go into rehabs, uh, it's just not a successful process. It does work for some people, but as a whole, the success rate has a lot to be desired. When I bring people down to the Amazon for years, I've been bringing them down for the natural medicine there, such as ayahuasca, cambo, San Pedro. Some do it to, to be enlightened in their lives or whatever, but they also have shown great promise in helping people with addiction. So what this show that I created is about is to bring people down that has struggled with addiction and just can't get a handle on it. Maybe be relapsing. Traditional methods just haven't worked for them. To bring them down there and with a team of doctors... It'll be overseen by psychiatrists, by doctors, that they would go through a program that I worked out with the shamans of detoxing them and using Amazon medicine to help them with their sobriety or their healing. It's all going to be overseen by board-certified doctors and see what the results are. Does it matter what kind of addiction somebody has? Let's say somebody comes down to the Amazon and they say, okay, I have a gambling addiction. Mm -hmm. I need some help. Could you help them with something like that? Absolutely. The reason is, is although it's not a magic bullet, like nothing is, is that a lot of the Amazon medicine does something where it kind of reprograms the brain, rewires it somehow. I've noticed, uh, even in my own experiences and other people as well, that triggers for say say if one thing happens to you you get triggered and you might want to go and drink or you might want to go and use drugs a lot of times this medicine afterwards puts you in a place to where when those triggers hit it doesn't go directly to you wanting to use it a different path is created say robert palmer came to you if he was still alive and mm -hmm. said i'm addicted to love what what do you do for the guy uh i'd ask him why do you ever want to change that <laughs> <laughs> there are good addictions, you know. Even good addictions are addictions. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been hobnobbing with some doctors. One in particular is kind of signed on to do this show with you. Mm -hmm. 
a name that I would say most people probably recognize. Unless you lived under a rock for 30 years, you would know him. Exactly. And his name is, drumroll please, <laughs> Dr. Drew. Dr. Drew. How did that come about? A lot of um, dreaming. Uh, that's how that came about. Dreaming and doing, because he's really signed on. Yeah, uh, the way it happened was that when I uh, started writing Amazon Detox up as a show, the world wasn't ready for it. Uh, there wouldn't be a TV channel that would have the balls to air it. But since then, times have changed. The ayahuasca is coming to the forefront. They just had a great article on it a couple weeks ago on the New York Times, how it's helping veterans with trauma. And it's really becoming a contender, helping people with addiction. So when I wrote this up, I wrote Dr. Drew in the show, saying, all right, I want Dr. Drew to come and do this with me and this is what I want him to do uh, and it was just obviously sitting at my computer at my desk a time was passing and I see wow the time's coming this is the time we're, we're in this huge epidemic of trauma and addiction and we don't have the facilities up here or the know-how I feel to broadly help people I mean the rehabs sometimes will do good and sometimes they just come out having more friends they can get high with I said, you know what, let's let's start rolling on this. So connections I made through my work in, in TV, uh, one was at uh, National Geographic, and I called them up, and, and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek. My actual words were, how does my people get in touch with Dr. Drew's people? And, and, and my people were me. <laughs> my people. <laughs> and uh, within... Uh, Five minutes, he sends me an email, and he says, uh, this is a group email. I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Drew's manager. Why don't you two make magic together? And obviously started talking with her, told her uh, what I wanted to do, and I sent her the, the reel uh, for the show. A couple days later, I was on the phone with Dr. Drew. He loves the show. He says, you know, this is super intriguing. It will be a TV show. What can I do to help? Yeah, so I said, well, can you do the help? I said, well, starring it would be a good start, you know? <laughs> I mean, I was thinking that how to, to get Dr. Drew on this show just blew my mind. We're having meetings with channels now. He's very intrigued by it, but also being a doctor, too. And this is nothing that has been approved by FDA. So he surely doesn't approve of what I'm doing. He can't. He is a, a medical physician. But he sees evidence that there may be something to this. So what our plan is, is that we are going to bring a group down. And before we do, we're going to do brain spec scans on them before. And then we'll bring them down and I'll put them through the process. During that time, Drew is going to be a fly on the wall. He's going to watch what's going on. One, he doesn't have a medical license in Peru, Amazon anyway, so he cannot be a doctor down there. All my doctors that I'll have on staff will be from Peru, but he will be consulting with them, just overviewing, being a fly on the wall to see what's happening, seeing how the people are reacting, seeing the pitfalls, seeing the good stuff, seeing the bad stuff. Then after this process, they will also go into aftercare and then have a second spec brain scan to see what has healed in the brain. It may conclude that Drew sees something and Drew says, you know what, uh, I don't see it working. Or he may say, yes, it does work. So he's on the fence of whether this is going to work or not. But he sees enough evidence to say, you know what, I want to learn more. And thousands of people are doing this every year anyway. It's been very common of people going down for healing of addiction down there. And they've been getting great results. So he says, since it's being done already, I just want to see it and research it and see what data comes back. Well, it sounds very innovative, and it's going to be very successful. I know it. I wish you the very best with it. Thank you. You absolutely deserve it. You work really hard. Uh, the many facets 
of Rusty Johnson. <laughs> this is just one of many. You producing this show is one of many. It's funny. You have to edit this show. You have to edit your own voice and your own work. Well, you're used to that from your own yeah. podcast. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time. You know how that goes. You've yeah. been, been through that on this show. I have to thank you for convincing me to start this show and for all of your tireless, sometimes painstaking work as producer, trying to, you know, we, we, you put in a lot of time. Uh, you're very underpaid, extremely underpaid. <laughs> you're the most underpaid person on the staff of, of one, which is you. I believe in karma, so I'll get paid one day. <laughs> Not from this show. <laughs> no, seriously, thank you for, for all of it. Of course, the more successful you become somewhere else, the less chance of you staying with this show. I, I know it's inevitable that you're going to have to leave this show. Don't leave me! <laughs> I was going to say us, but there is no us without you. So if you leave, I'm, I'm just here by myself in the dark shivering. So we, we all look forward to that. I can't do this show without you. You're a permanent staple of this show. You're part of what makes this show uh, sound so good. You make me sound so good, and you're part of what makes it enjoyable to do for me. So so thanks for everything. Oh, my pleasure. It's always a wonderful challenge, and always meet cool new people as well. All right, now go edit the show. All right, here it comes. Here it comes. The big wrap-up. You've heard this a million times. You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, produced and engineered every week by... Who? Rusty Johnson. Ah, Rusty Johnson, that's right. As always, click subscribe. Come back next week, and I promise we'll have another Hudson Valley musician. We'll see you, <laughs> we'll see you then.